0: I do. I've, say, I've said publicly that Tim Hortons is the number one coffee. I, it, I used to be like a Dunkin' Donuts fan, but Dunkin' Donuts is way below now at number two. Starbucks is still at number 154, just so you know that. It's just, it's just below motor oil at 153. So, <laughs> so I do rank coffee professionally. Hope you got a good night's sleep last night. Uh, open your Bible, if you would, again this morning to Second Timothy. Second Timothy chapter number one bring you greetings from my wife, Wanda. Wanda and I have been married for 35 years, and we have four children. Uh, My uh, oldest uh, son, Nate, is uh, in Florida. He has a company called Financial Pathway, but he really travels uh, every week on weekends and and helps churches with stewardship campaigns uh, and that kind of thing, loves the Lord. Uh, He and his wife, Charity, have three of our grandchildren. And then my son, Josh, is uh, a youth pastor. He's starting a church... There we go. Starting a church next year. He and his wife Rachel have one little girl, Elia, and then my son Caleb is also a youth pastor in Phoenix, Arizona, and he uh, and his wife uh, uh, Cassie have two children, uh, Camila and Cash, Cassius, and they are just precious. They're at my house right now, so, um, and then we have a daughter. So how, how many of you guys know that when you have children and your youngest is a daughter, that she's on the princess plan, right? So she's on the princess plan. Uh, she, uh, she's 26. Uh, she married a young man from Australia. So I made this mistake a few years back. I, I went to Australia every year to do a single adults conference in Sydney. And one year, I think, in a fit of temporary insanity, I came home and told my daughter, I said, hey, I I go to this wonderful single adults conference in Australia. You ought to go. And so she did. She went to my, my single adult daughter, went to the single adults conference, and she met a single adult. You'd think I could have figured that one out. And the thing about Australia is the guys don't even have to be intelligent. They don't have to be good looking. They don't have to. I mean, all the, they just have that cute little accent, you know, and all the girls fall for it. So she fell for it and uh, fell in love. I've got to say, he is a godly guy, loves the Lord, and very faithful to his church and good leader. So we're glad she's we're glad she's married to him. We're just not glad that she's ten thousand miles away. So uh, anyway. Uh, that's my family. I know that you love your family. You love your kids. How many of you guys, uh, just to, so I can kind of know, how many of you guys have grandchildren? How many have grandchildren? Aren't they the best? Why couldn't we have just skipped our kids? You know what I'm talking about? Uh, yeah, you ever spend time with your grandkids and then your own kids say, where were you? you know, where were you when I was growing up? You know, because you're actually nice to your grandkids. Um, but anyway, that's, that, that's our, our little story. We're in 2 Timothy chapter number one, and we're talking about how to mentor young men. And we have a great template for that in the person of the Apostle Paul. Understand this principle in life. God uses people to help people. That's how God does it. In God's economy, God uses people to help people. There are no Lone Ranger's. God didn't, God didn't outfit us to live out in the middle of somewhere as monks. Now God puts us in community. That's why the, the local church is so vital. Why? Because we're supposed to provoke one another unto love and good works. That's our job. We're supposed to do that. You're, you're supposed to go to church every week, and people ought to have a greater desire. Think, Listen to this. People ought to have a greater desire and a greater capacity to serve God because of their interaction with you. Think about that. People ought to have a greater desire and a greater capacity to serve God because of their interaction with you. Sometimes we get the idea that we just come to be fed, you know, by by the pastor, by the teacher, by the, but and that's true. But we're we're there in community. We're members. We're we're joined together. That's Ephesians four. And so God uses people to bless and help people. That's the way you got saved. How shall they hear without a preacher. God could have written the gospel in the sky. And certainly in general revelation, he did. But God's special revelation, he reserved to be proclaimed by people. That's why we talked so fervently last night about come and see, come and see, come and see. Why? Because that's our job. It's our job to say, come and see, uh, to use our words to trumpet the gospel message of Christ. So even in mentorship, that's the way God does it. Uh, We talked about several principles yesterday. If we're going to effectively mentor young people, we have to understand who we are. You can't take someone where you're not. You have to understand who you are, understand your own unique call of God, and determine to live a life of biblical priority. Carefully and prayerfully decide, who am I going to mentor? Confirm your love to that person early and often. Love is the ultimate climate in which people grow. Uh, strive to make the basis of your relationship spiritual, grace, mercy, and peace be multiplied unto you. Make sure that you're having not just conversations that connect, hey, let's talk about hockey or let's talk about you know this or hunting or or my favorite sport. No, there are connecting points, but make sure the connection goes beyond superficiality. We talked about that yesterday a bit. Pray for him and let him know that you're praying for him. Pray for him and let him know that you're praying for him. There are things that can be accomplished in prayer that can be accomplished no other way. Pray, praying, intercessory prayer, prayer made. Uh, And now we're in verse number four. If you'll just go there, 2 Timothy chapter one and verse four, uh, where the Bible says, greatly desiring to see thee, being mindful of thy tears that I may be filled with joy. Greatly desiring to see thee, being mindful of thy tears that I may be filled with joy. Communicate your desire to be with him. You know, um, so, sometimes people get this, the, 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 the sense uh, that our relationship with them is kind of like a job. And if we're not careful, even in discipleship, people will feel that way. Like we're keeping an appointment. Like I'm spending an hour with you because we're scheduled to do that for an hour on Wednesday night. And people intuitively sense that. Do you want to be with them? You know, Paul is about to rebuke Timothy. He's about to tell Timothy, hey, Timothy, you're shrinking back in some unhealthy ways from me, from the gospel, from your association with Christ. But before uh, Timothy, uh, Paul ever told Timothy that, he said, Timothy, listen, I love you and I'm praying for you and I love hanging out with you. I love being with you. I wonder, do do we make purposeful decisions? Are we intentional about our investments in young men? Like I remember when I first began pastoring in Pennsylvania, we took a little church of, oh, I guess forty or forty or fifty people, and I, I had no clue what I'm doing. I, I still have little clue what I'm doing, but but I had no clue what I was doing, and but I just figured, hey, people, we. I, I'm just all about spending time with people. And so everywhere I would go, I would take a young man everywhere. Everywhere I would go. If I'm going to Walmart, if I'm going down to the lumber store, if I'm going, I would take a young man with me. Why? Because that's where the investments are made, just to spend time. I'd stop by a house, come on, you're coming with me. In the summer, parents loved it. Because they're, ten- well, my teenager sleeps until 12. Nope, I'll come pick him up at 8. You tell him to be ready. I'd go on, wake him up, come on, let's go. You say, what did, what did you have to do? Nothing, but I spend time with me. Even back, even, I'd bring them back to the church. Hey, I need you to work on this. Go here, go down there. I'd give them inane jobs to do. Why? Spend time, spend time with, spend time with. It, it's not the appointments you keep. It's the time you're spending with. Do you, de- do you desire to spend that time with young men? I, when I was a youth pastor many, many years ago, uh, I, would, uh, I, I would train our youth workers because they're the key to youth ministry, the youth workers. And, and I would say to them, listen, when I tell the teens to do something, like, hey, be quiet, or hey, line up, or whatever we're doing, I said, I don't need for 20 youth workers to turn around and say, you heard the pastor, be quiet. You know, I don't need you to echo me. I need you to be the example of what I just said. Because how many understand that in youth, in youth meetings, the person that's struggling in the game is not the teenager, it's the worker, <laughs> it's the worker. You know? So I just said, be a good model. Just be a good model. And I said, when I'm preaching in youth meeting, I don't need you workers stand, sitting in the back. Now, now don't, I'm not against you guys sitting in the back, but uh, I don't need you sitting in the back. I don't need you to having private conversations in the hallway. I want you sitting in and among the young people. I want you listening. The best example you can be is somebody that's wrapped uh, attention to the to the message and taking notes, and be the change that you want to see in them. Greatly desiring to be with thee, being mindful of thy tears. Look at verse number five. This is such such an important principle. Second Timothy chapter one of verse number five, uh, where the apostle Paul says, when, "When I call to remembrance, and that's kind of our key word here, when I call to remembrance the unfeigned faith that is in thee." One of my favorite terms in the New Testament is that term unfeigned faith. Uh, The Greek word for unfeigned is the word ah, ah, nupokritus, okay? So ah in the Greek language is without, and then hupokritus is, right, hypocrisy. So unfeigned means without hypocrisy. Now understand that back in Jesus' day, hypocrisy, we view hypocrisy very, very negative, but in Jesus' language, a hypocrite, that wasn't a negative word. You know that, right? A hypocrite meant actor. That's what it meant, actor. So the, when we went to the theater, it was the hypocrite that, that played, that wore the mask. So when Jesus was calling them hypocrites, it's become a pejorative term because of the way we use it. But he was saying, You're actors. You're just pretending. You're pretenders. That's what he meant. And what the Bible's teaching here is, Timothy, you are not a pretender. You are not an actor. Now, think about it. Timothy is struggling here. Timothy is going to receive a mild rebuke. But you know what Paul does before he ever deals with Timothy's issues? Paul praises the good that he can. Now, think about that. He praises the good that he can. I think sometimes if we're not careful, especially in mentoring young men, is we, we, we raise the bar, raise the bar, raise the bar. And I'm all for raising the bar. Believe me. Man, I think we should raise the bar as high as possible. I, I like uh, high expectations. That's wonderful. But wait a minute. If all we ever do is raise the bar and we never fertilize that which they're doing, we, we never come alongside. People inhabit their praise. People do. And so it's important to recognize things that they are legitimately doing for the Lord and then verbalize that. That's important. Okay? Not 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 flattery. Not flattery. Flattery is what you would say to someone's face that you would never say behind their back. Right? That's flattery. But what's gossip? Gossip is what you'd say behind their back that you'd never say to their face. They're both wrong. Okay? But legitimate praise is absolutely important. And so, Timothy, hey, listen, I'm grateful that you're real. That's what he's saying. Timothy, uh, when I call to remembrance, the unfeigned faith that's in thee, which dwelt first in my grandmother Lois and in my mother Eunice, and persuaded in thee also. Timothy, one thing I love about you is you are real. So praise the good that you can. Now, think about that kid right now, or think about that young man in your church that's really struggling. You have a little bit of an ingress into his life you know, instead of just jumping on him all the time and I'm all for, you know, speak up and faithful are the wounds of a friend and the kisses of an enemy are deceitful. I get all of that, okay? But it's important that we identify areas of growth as well. and That's what Paul is doing here in verse five. Now, listen, we, we've, we've been through five or six principles right now and every single one of them are affirming. Every one of them. Hey, I'm still doing what God's called me to do, Timothy. I love you. You're like my son. I'm praying for you. You know, I want God's richest blessings upon you. I love hanging out with you. One thing I really appreciate about you is you're real. Boy, if, if you're Timothy now and you've kind of been shrinking back, you're kind of entering the Christian witness protection program because you're afraid of the big bad Rome and all the things that are going on and Paul's in jail and aren't you with him? Ah, not really. You know, that's what's happening. And you're reading this letter for the first time. You're thinking, wow. Wow. How encouraging must this have been to a young man who desperately needed to hear it? You know, do you know that there's a young man that desperately needs to hear your encouraging words? There's a sense in which every one of us needs to be a Barnabas, that son of consolation. There's a sense in which every one of us should be intentionally speaking into the lives of some young man. Certainly, our own our own kids. Certainly, but there, there's young men across the way here that would that would love to have a mentor just like you. I promise you. Okay, look at verse number six, uh, where the Bible says, "Wherefore I put thee in remembrance." Again, there's our word. I put thee in remembrance that thou stir up the gift of God which is in thee by the putting out of my hands. That thou stir up the gift of God which is in thee by the putting out of my hands. Okay, what what principle do we see in verse number six? Okay, it's this one, ready? Remind him of his spiritual victories. Remind him of his spiritual victories. say, okay, Kurt, what do you mean by that? Remind him of his spiritual victories. Okay, what I mean by that is as we do life with people in ministry, now think about it. Where are we right now? We're at a men's conference. Okay, what's going to happen at this men's conference? Well, for sure, some people are going to make some great spiritually directional decisions. It happened last night. Several guys uh, got the assurance of their salvation, perhaps even got saved. Um, We had uh, a number of men make some great decisions. I I would guess all of us, to some degree, made some good spiritual affirmation last night. It was good. Okay, so and who, and some of these young men, as they make big directional decisions in their life, okay, that that's important. We're here with them. We're doing life with them. We're doing ministry with them. What the Apostle Paul said is, Timothy, I was there. I, I was there. Remember back at Lystra? Remember uh, when I said to your mom and your grandma, hey, I want to take him with us. Silas and I were, were we're heading we're heading west and we're gonna plant some churches and preach the gospel and he'd be great we want to take him we told your pastor remember that Timothy remember when all the uh, the 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 leadership of the church gathered around you remember that Timothy we laid our hands on you we ordained you to that ministry and God gave you some some special gift Now, we don't know what that was but God gifted him in some special way Timothy stir that up. I want to take you down memory lane to that place where you made that decision. Sometimes as as spiritual mentors, that's our job to say, hey, remember that decision you made at camp? Remember when we prayed together at that revival meeting? Remember that? And sometimes we have to be the string around the finger of some young man, of some a person we're mentoring to remind them of what God has done in their lives, to remind them. And that's important. Why? Because we all tend to let the coal get cold. We all tend to let the fire die down. We all need people in our life to blow on that fire or throw a little gasoline on that fire. We all need that. We all need that. Look at verse number uh, 7. I love this. For, for God hath not given us the spirit of fear, but of power and of love and of a sound mind. Now we we know that verse, don't we? God hath not given us a spirit of fear, but of power and of love and of a sound mind. Now we hear a lot about this, it's almost a buzz term, but I'm going to use the word anyway, and that is remind him of his spiritual identity. Remind him of his spiritual identity. So, what happens sometimes is we allow circumstances to define us. We allow our fears to define us. That's what was happening to Timothy. And what Paul did with Timothy is Paul said to Timothy, listen, I want you to understand, Timothy, I know you're you're afraid right now. I know you're nervous. I know persecution is ramping up. I know that I am in jail and, and I'm kind of the poster child for Christianity and Christians all across the world are being persecuted right now. This is the exact same time that Paul, uh, uh, Peter's writing his letter on persecution and suffering, 1 Peter. Uh, th- these, are, these are dark, dark days. And Timothy, I know it's tough out there. And I know there are many things that would intimidate you. But Timothy, understand this. The fear that you're feeling in your heart, that's not who you are. And that's not from God. Because God has not given us, hath not given us a spirit of fear, but of power. Okay. You have the Holy Spirit of power and of love. You know, God, God's love has been set upon your life. And there's not a thing that you can do today to make God love you any more or less than he already loves you. And so uh, the spirit of, uh, of power, power, love, a sound mind. Timothy, you know where you came from. You, you know why you're here. And Timothy, you know where you're going. That's a sound mind. A sound mind has a sense of, of of mental stability that I know, I know who I am. I I know why I'm here. I know where I'm going. So Timothy, don't take counsel of your fears. Fears, fear is a horrible counselor. See, it's not wrong to feel fear. We all feel fear. But don't take counsel of your fears. It's not wrong to feel fear. Don't operate in fear. So, uh, Timothy, I want to just remind you who you are in Christ, who you are in Christ. Now, finally, look at verse number eight, verse number eight. Well, the Bible says, be not thou. And do you see the word now? Be not thou, therefore. So all of what we've talked about in verses one through seven has all been, for lack of a better term, it's all been positive. These are all positive affirmation principles from a godly older man into the life of a fledgling, uh, a struggling, a vacillating younger man who desperately needs for someone to speak into his life intentionally. That's exactly what Paul's doing. By the way, it's the value of the written word. You know, when God chose to give us special revelation, he gave us the written word, the written word. And there's something powerful about the written word. When when Timothy's actually seeing the handwriting of the apostle Paul, who, who couldn't see well and had to write large letters, Right, large that's what that means. You see how large a letter I've written. He was talking about large letters that he writes. So Tim, Timothy is seeing the very handwriting of his mentor and realizing, wow, even in the dark, a dank, damp, mamertine prison, he's investing in my life. But when he ought to be licking his wounds, he's thinking about mine. Wow, that that that's a powerful thing. And now he says, I love you. And I'm still doing what God's called me to do. And Timothy, I want God's blessings upon your life. And Timothy, I pray for you every single day. And I can't wait to spend time with you because I love spending time with you. One thing I love about you, Timothy, is you are real. That's who you are. You are real. And Timothy, this is not who you are, this fear that you're feeling. This is not who you are. Uh, get back to the place in your life where you, you're reminded of those spiritual victories. See what Paul's doing? Now, finally, he gets to verse number eight, and now he's going to deal with what Timothy's struggling with. He dealt with it in a theological way in verse number seven, but now he deals with it in a practical way. Now, unfortunately, what most of us do as dads, what most of us do as pastors and as, as, as male leaders, what most of us do is we skip verses one through seven. Well, we work with people, and we just get to verse number eight and say, Cut it out. Stop it. What's your problem? Don't. Now, is there a place for that? Absolutely. Absolutely. He, he is not a leader who's unwilling to confront error. He is not a leader. Okay, but, but by going there first, that can be counterproductive. So, so Paul says, be not thou therefore ashamed of the testimony of our Lord, nor of me as prisoner, but be thou partaker of the afflictions of the gospel according to the power of God. So Timothy, here, here's where you're at. And do you know that when Paul says that in verse number eight, when Paul says that in verse number eight, he's introducing really the theme for the first half of the book. The theme for the first half of the book is one theme. It took them eight verses to get there. What is the theme? The theme for the first half of the book is don't be ashamed. Do do you think that that has any relevance to living for God in Canada in 2023? Do you think that these young men are going to have an uphill climb to stand for Christ? Do you think that they're going to have to learn what it means not to be ashamed of Jesus? To be made fun of? Uh, Listen very likely, very likely for them to go to jail? Very likely that in the next 20, 30 years, I mean, look at how rapidly things are changing. Look at the laws that are so counter to the word of God that are coming down right now. Don't you think that there are some young men that need to be strengthened? That need to know who Christ is? Know what they believe? So that, like the Apostle Paul, when that day comes, they can shine in an example for Christ like a Daniel, or like a Paul, or like a John the Baptist? Absolutely. So Paul has run to this theme. Don't be ashamed. So verse number eight be not thou therefore ashamed. Look at verse number 12. For its cause I also suffer these things, nevertheless, I'm not ashamed. Do you see the thing the theme? I, I'm not ashamed. I know whom I have believed. I'm persuaded that he's able to keep that which I've committed unto him against that day, right? Don't be ashamed. I'm not ashamed. Look, look at verse number uh, 17. Well, actually, look at verse number 15. This thou knowest. Timothy, you know this. All they which are in Asia be turned away from me, of whom are Phygellus and Hermogenes. You say, who are Phygellus and Hermogenes? I have no clue. And neither do you. But guess who knew? Timothy did. And they were so famous, Paul didn't have to add any qualification. He didn't say, you know, that guy that does this. No, he knew they were famous Christian leaders that were no longer serving God. No longer standing for God. And what Paul said is, Timothy, you know this. Everybody quit. Everybody quit. You know that, Timothy. Don't be ashamed. I'm not ashamed. Watch this. Verse number 16. The Lord give mercy unto the house of Onesiphorus. For he, ho- he offered refreshed me. Watch, look at it real quickly. He offered refreshed me, and he was not what? Talk to me. He was not what? Ashamed. When he was in Rome, he sought me out very diligently and found me. The Lord uh, gave him mercy, right? So, be not ashamed. I'm not ashamed. Hey, if you want a good example, Timothy, Onesiphorus, oh, he wasn't ashamed. Okay, one last verse. No chapter divisions when the Bible is read. Look at chapter 2 and verse 15. You know the verse. Chapter 2 and verse 15. Study. You know what that word means, right? Spudazzo. It means give every effort, passion, study to show thyself approved unto God. A workman, here it is, a workman that needeth not to be, talk to me, what? Shame. Do you, think that, do you think that he was driving at something? Do you think that Paul had a sense that we live in a dark world and it's getting darker and I'm dying? We live in a dark world and it's getting darker and I'm dying. And I desperately want these young men to live a life for Jesus Christ unashamed. Well, how do we get there? We get there in verses 1 through 7. So, Father, help us as we uh, make these applications. Oh, God, raise up godly mentors in our local churches, investing in, spending time with, teaching, modeling to these young men who are facing an an incredibly uh, opposing society. Help them, Lord, I pray. In Jesus' name, amen.